Welcome to The Founder's Mind. This is your host, Adam Mutchler. On this episode, I have Marav, co-founder and CEO of Data Society. Learn how Marav went from being a K-12 teacher to starting a data science education company. Listen and learn through some of the lessons Marav has worked through along the way and where she sees data science heading in the future. Well, thanks for thanks for being on the show. I was I'm, I'm excited to have you and you know try and do a little bit of due diligence, but I'd love to hear from you sort of a little bit about data society and, and what you're building and what got you into it. Yes. Um, so data society in a nutshell provides tailored data science training programs to companies and organizations um, to help them become more data driven uh, and to leverage their data more efficiently. <laughs> um, that's a long sentence. It, <laughs> it's always a fun challenge when I'm introducing my company uh, to somebody new. But in essence, we are really good at breaking down complex um, data science methods into simple step-by-step guides mm-hmm. so that people can actually implement them at the analyst level. And then you also have, uh, we do a lot of work with executives to help them better understand how to run a team yeah. and build a data strategy and build their data infrastructure. So what, what we found is that when we um, give executives and managers that uh, empowerment to understand how data science works, they're much more excited to then implement um, data strategies across an organization. I mean, that seems reasonable to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's a little bit different when you're on the selling side of of the equation. It is because data science can be applied so many different ways. And a lot of um, clients who we work with have Um, these BI tools, these dashboards that they have purchased for millions of dollars um, and then are frankly relegated into a dusty corner where maybe a few people use them out of an entire company. And and then they um, are wondering, you know, what we're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And the, what we do tell our clients is that it's not, um, it's not an either or situation. So it's not, buying a tool or um, investing in training, but it really is a combination. Sure. You know, we have no problem with any of the tools that have come out. Um, you know, we're talking about Tableau and talking about Watson and Microsoft BI and all of these tools. But if you have somebody on the other end who doesn't understand um, what a regression model does or doesn't understand how to um, check assumptions for a random forest model, then whatever information you get out of there, um, it's not going to be valuable to you. So it's really um, being able to understand what data science does and having the framework to ask the right questions. I, re- I really like that perspective, the framework to ask the right questions. Um, it's something that in the coaching yes. space, I, th- I think about a lot. You know, you don't have to be an expert on everything, but being able to ask the right questions at the right time or knowing what the conversation is, you know, having enough information. So you're not just nodding and saying yes, but yeah. not understanding <laughs> at all. Um, so, so it is really interesting because we do a lot of work um, with clients. So we do training and then we also do take on some consulting projects. And I remember um, we worked with a marketing firm, an email marketing firm, and they send out millions of emails every month, uh, very high volume, real big data. 
and they asked us what um, are some of the changes they can make to their emails so that people will open them. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, that's a, a decent question. Let's take a look at the data that you've gathered. And what we saw is that it was actually really hard for us to um, make that initial assessment because we saw that all of their emails were being sent out uh, at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So if that's when all the emails are being sent out, I can't compare that open rate to an open rate on a Thursday afternoon sure. or a Friday morning. And um, one of the uh, aspects of data analysis that we really emphasize is the fact that collecting data and cleaning data is going to be your most intensive stage. Mm-hmm. Um, typically it takes 60 to 70% of any data science project time because you're not sure if you have the data that you need. Collecting it takes time. And if your data is not standardized or you're missing certain pieces, then that takes a really long time too. Um, so we have a lot of data scientists who, um, I like to call them our frustrated data scientists <laughs> because they're trying to explain to their managers like, hey, this analysis is going to take another two weeks because I have to clean all of this data. And the manager is uh, frustrated with them because they're saying, why does it take you this long to clean an Excel spreadsheet, right? Um, and so helping to bridge those communication gaps is also like a really big part of the solution that we bring to a lot of companies. What got you, how did you go down this path with this, you know, with this focus, with this company, with, uh, with this topic? I mean, what, what was the trigger? The trigger was um, I wanted to make a bigger impact than, than what I was currently doing. So a bit about my background, I um, am a teacher by trade. So I've been, uh, I've been a teacher in public schools. I was a special education teacher up in um, New York City for a while. Um, and I've also done a lot of one-on-one and adult learning and um, assessment training. So really the entire of education. And um, I was working for an educational nonprofit at the time, and it was a really good job. Um, But I was thinking about what my next move could be, what my next steps could be. And that's when serendipity really stepped in (laughs) because um, my my mutual friend who's, um, uh, my friend who's my co-founder, I knew him through a mutual friend of ours, and I had heard that he was thinking about starting a new company and that data science and was going to be a thing. And mind you, this was in 2014 when nobody really understood what data science was. It wasn't the sexiest anything. It was just, you know, a weird term that nerds used. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I heard about this nugget of an idea and I I met with my co-founder and I said, listen, um, I'm really good at teaching people uh, anything, right? It it doesn't matter what the topic is. Mm -hmm. This is a topic that I would be able to teach and I could help you put together kind of the best training uh, for this topic. And, you know, he said, okay. Um, so I started coming in uh, uh, after work on the weekends. Um, I would take days off to go to business meetings. <laughs> I was essentially, you know, don't tell my boss. Don't tell. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was working like two and a half jobs, I like to say, for about nine months. Um, and my heart was just in it, you know, from the minute we started building it and designing it. And, and I love solving problems Mm -hmm. and solving challenges. So, um, I helped build our online learning management system from scratch. 
um, and help design what a curriculum could look like and what are the um, key assessment pieces that need to be into place to make sure people are actually learning and staying engaged. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the problem solving. I fell in love with data science. It's a really amazing field. Um, I learned how to program, which pretty um, amazing. it's so much fun. You know, I feel like, um, like I'm in hackers, you know, uh, which <laughs> is quite a throwback. Um, it's not as, the graphics aren't as cheesy, but it is still very fun. Um, and, and so I quit my job about nine months after we started the company um, to move into it full time. And, you know, I never looked back in four years. Yeah. And the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> they say. You still, I mean, yeah. there's still a company. It's, it's clearly growing. I mean, just if, if I look at it from a real estate perspective and the amount of desks that you have at WeWork and the offices now. Um, yeah. What, what do you, what, what do you feel like that inflection point was when you said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to commit. I don't want to say full time cause you were already working two and a half full time jobs. But when you say like, I'm going to commit, I'm going all in on this and I'm removing the other elements of my work. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, I remember that moment actually really clearly because I asked myself a simple question, which is where is my time most valuable? Um, and that was, and that was a tipping point. I realized that my time was really much more valuable, uh, starting this negative a company, um, and seeing what we would do. I think for me, it didn't seem like a risk because there was so much that I would be able to learn mm -hmm. from building a company, uh, from the ground up that if the worst thing happened, which is if, uh, we had to fold for whatever reason, I would be able to transfer my skills into a, a different position. I would still have a really big, um, a really big impact. So, you know, that's really how I saw it. And the other piece of it was, um, if I don't try as hard as I can to make it work, mm -hmm. then if we fail, I'll never know if we could have succeeded if I had tried harder. For sure. Um, and so at least with this, you know, I was like, I'm going to put everything into it. I had this amazing vacation planned. I ended up having to cancel, um, which was really tough. I still owe my little sister a trip to Japan, um, as she reminds me on a regular basis. So I, I, I did because I said, okay, if I'm going to commit, I'm going to commit. And I have to make sure that I look back and know that I did everything that I could to make it succeed. What's a challenge that sticks out in this journey so far? I'm sure there's there's been many, but what's a challenge that kind of sticks out that you that you had to work through? Um. I'd say one of the biggest challenges that we have now is actually what you alluded to earlier, which is um, allocating our most precious resource, which is time. Mm -hmm. um, time is something you can never ever ever get back. It's just you know you can always make more money, um, but you you can't make more time. Yeah. Not yet anyways. Um, so as we grow, uh, we have to figure out where our time is used most effectively mm -hmm. um, to continue to grow our company, continue to grow our business lines. And so that's a lot of what we're working on right now is, is allocating our time uh, in the most effective way possible. It's, I mean, it's a challenge, you know, we still work on that on a daily basis. Yeah. It's it's a process. Any any tips, tricks, learnings that 
that you've kind of picked up in this, in this focus? Um, define your goals very clearly, uh-huh. I would say is a really important one. And, uh, make sure you evaluate yourself regularly, right? Because it's important, you know, there's of course this thing in, um, in startup land where you have to fail fast. Mm-hmm. And so a, a big part of that is you don't want to invest too much time going down a road that is not going to be successful for you. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to take a step back, evaluate, and then change course without being so stubborn about it. Um, you know, you can, we say that we're wrong all the time in different capacities, that this is one of those, you know, if, if I think like, Hey, I think there's a market here and I do my research and I go after it and we um, do some marketing campaigns, we realize, Hey, um, there isn't, (laughs) Hmm. or there's not as big of a response as we wanted. We need to either adjust that and try again, or we're seeing this other opportunity that's right here. It's low hanging fruit. um, And this is where our time is better spent, you know, then, then we can pivot to, to go to that market. So Mm -hmm. Um, it's really being able to evaluate that and move forward. Evaluate and move forward. I like it. Um, what's a piece of advice you've received as a founder that you found really impactful? Um, piece of advice. Taking care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I know that might be a little um, cliche. Um, it's not cliche I, if it's real. It's not cliche if it's real. That's right. It, you know, the truth is if you're not, um, burnout is very real. It's very real. Um, and if you are not mindful of it, then, um, it will catch up to you real quick. I'll also say that I love, um, Amazon's leadership principles. I don't know if you've seen them. They're the 14 leadership principles. Um, that Amazon designed. And when I read them, I thought, well, I'm, why am I reinventing the wheel? These guys have probably put a lot of thought into it. Um, and it really gives a good overview of what makes a good leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it talks about things like um, to stand firm in your, in your beliefs, mm-hmm. um, to like not be afraid to fail, to try again. I have all of them in our other office actually sure. up there. So don't quote me. Uh, <laughs> as we're recording, but, um, it's as we grow and as we have more, more, uh, team members, like our, my responsibilities, especially as a leader really shift. And so now it's important for me to be more mindful as well about, um, how I'm managing the team and also the direction that we're heading in, um, and the example that I'm setting. Mm-hmm. So all of that is, is in my head. Love it. That's a lot to hold. Yeah. <laughs> What's um I've got a I've got a whole arsenal of questions and your answers are coming out so succinct. I love it. It's really good. Um what's something that you know now that you would have appreciated knowing at the beginning of your journey? Um take time to learn things better. I would say, um, I think one of the biggest challenges that we had when we first started is that, uh, I just wasn't as familiar with the field of data science as I needed to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I mistakenly thought that, you know, only somebody with a master's or a PhD could, could grasp it. Uh, we've proven that to be wrong. Um, you know, we've, we've been able to teach, um, 
data analytics methods to people who have been front desk assistants at, at legal firms um, and who just really took to it. So and the reason why I say that is because it was harder for me to evaluate um, who we needed on our team early on because I didn't understand uh, the methodologies that we needed to focus on. Um, and so had I had a better grasp about that, I think I would have made a few different decisions about how we have, um, how we started with that content creation process, which has been through several iterations. Sure. There's always, there are always lessons along the way and I, I've had many, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing. Like, it's funny. Um, talking to other founders and other entrepreneurs is always so helpful because, um, we're seeing the same problem. It's the mm-hmm. same problems everywhere. Um, and, you know, we bootstrapped uh, our company because we wanted to have the flexibility to pivot to where the market was and uh, retain control of the company. Um, and so sometimes I joke like, you know, if we'd had a million dollars to start with, I just think we'd be a million dollars in the hole. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we would be that much farther along because it, we had to learn so much about um, the process of creating the materials and making them robust and, and making them stand out. Um, and that's just, it takes time more than anything else. No, I think that's a really interesting point, you know, and people talk about bootstrapping or raising money also, and there, there are pros and cons and sometimes it's necessary, you know, it depends on what you're building. Um, Absolutely. But no, I mean, it's interesting to hear that from, from data society's perspective. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, we do, we do get approached by a lot of VCs and investors, you know, now that we've been around the block for a while, we've proven ourselves. Um, And we, so we still have these conversations. Uh, Does it make sense to raise money now that we know what our market is, what we're going after? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we'll see. Um, I mean, I don't know the future, but uh, TBD, if, if there comes a time when it makes sense for us strategically. Yeah. TBD then, uh, you know, that's something we'll consider. Yeah, I think there's also this element of being in the moment and not being so in the moment that you don't obviously see what's coming, but not thinking so far ahead that you trip, you sort of trip up in what's right in front of you. You know, so like that VC money is out there, Yes. you know, and not getting twisted and, and feeling like it's the only way. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny because there was a little while where I was thinking like, okay, we're hiring more people. Okay. Like we need to get everything in place now for like a bigger company. So we're ready and this and this. And, uh, what, ha- what ended up happening is like, you're spending a lot of time on things that don't need to be built yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, and we do have some really great processes in place, but that they're right for our size and they're right for us to scale. Um, so you know, this is definitely not a one size fits all approach mm-hmm. for, um, building out your, your internal capability. Because I think you really have to uh, be mindful of like what your needs are, what your needs will be in six months and a year versus like also what your needs will be next week um, and what business you have coming in. For sure. Focus. Um, who's a founder that you admire and why? A founder that I admire and why? I really like Sarah Blakely. Mm. Uh, she founded Spanx. She has a very, um, just like a can-do story, right? Like she candidly admit she knew nothing about nothing. Um, and she really had a lot of grit and, and fought really hard 
to produce her product and then to place it. And then she spent time like literally next to her product in, I think it was like Nordstrom's or Lord and Taylor, like trying to sell it <laughs> to customers who are coming in. Um, and so she really built that company from the ground up um, just with this vision and, and this determination. Yeah. That's what I really admire. No, her name comes up fairly frequently with, with uh, when that question comes up, which I appreciate. Um, cause there, there also aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of examples that are discussed at great length of, uh, women who have founded and built companies, uh, and have had a lot of success mostly because it's harder to, and not because they, yeah. they're making it harder, but because society and, and, and business is making it harder. So it's even more impressive in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, it, it's true. Like she's the first person that comes to mind because uh, I've seen her speak and she was, I think the first episode of how I built this, which I know is a really popular podcast. Um, you know, so that, that makes sense. I also really like um, Mike Bloomberg uh, and he, I saw him speak um, about how he got started and it was really interesting. I think he was, so he built the software uh, accounting software for, and I'm totally going to bungle this because it's been a while since I've heard the story, but he, what he ended up doing is he made friends with everybody in, um, it was like the Fannie Mae office. He would bring coffee to them every day and have conversations with them every day. And then when he was in a meeting trying to sell his software for, for a trial, you know, he's sitting across this guy, uh, and he wasn't being very receptive and saying things like, well, we'll see what happens. And we kind of already have this software. And then all of a sudden, this guy's boss passes by and looks in and says, oh, hey, Mike, like, how's it going? <laughs> and, you know, Bloomberg is sitting there trying to sell products. Oh, yeah, I'm just pitching the product, uh, you know, that I was telling you about. And, and this, like, VP goes, okay, yeah, sounds great. Like, let's try it out. <laughs> I was like, that, that's how he made his first big sale, right? It's through building that type of relationship and having that type of determination. And I just... Uh, I thought that was really funny. That it's such a great point, and it's something that I say a lot, and I believe, and this is how I operate, which is relationships precede results. Oh, a hundred and twenty percent. I agree with that. Yeah, and um, if you focus on that, we your outcomes are very different. Yeah, like I will say that. Um, it helps that we did build up a really nice community, a really good community. Um, in, in data science. And we offered a lot of help for free. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people were asking us questions about how do I implement this and data and that and data. And, and we would sit there and we would help them out. Um, and then they would refer us to clients who were looking for trainings. Um, so referrals are huge. And conversely, um, I don't know how family friendly the show is, but like, just don't be an asshole. You know, um, we've, I've also met some founders who, really uh, did not make a good impression. Yeah. And it made me a lot less likely to want to work with them in the future. Sure. It, it's a re First, I think I, I think I would say that this show is probably occasionally PG-13, but mostly mostly PG. <laughs> but... <I think> that, <laughs> we can bleep that out yeah, later. <laughs> I, think, I think that, that that's a really great point. And I, it's been said by many, many greater people before me about, you know, this like, takes a lifetime to build up a reputation and a day to ruin it idea. And it, you know, for me, I always think it takes a lot of energy to do what's right and to be good, but that's the point. It's not easy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't mean be a pushover, right? It doesn't mean that I'm going to do a hundred hours of work for free. Um, you have to know your limits and, but it just means like, just be helpful to people around you. There's, there's no reason why you shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, and if you can't be helpful, just say like, Hey, like I'm really sorry. I'm swamped mm-hmm. and I can't help you, but maybe here's a few other resources that you can look at. Totally. You know, things like that. Um, what's something that you've learned recently that blew your mind? Um, what's something that blew my mind recently? That's a good question. Um, I was actually, <laughs> I was actually looking at WeWork's pitch deck recently um, to investors. It was linked a few years ago. And um, what blew my mind is that they had estimated growth of their WeLive um, enterprise. I don't know if you know of WeLive. Yeah. It's like kind of dorm rooms, uh, dorm room style livings. And uh, I think they estimated there to be uh, over 200 locations or 100 locations worldwide. I'm pretty sure they, they just have the two yeah. um, that they originally started with. And I, I guess the reason why it, it um, was surprising to me is because you do have very successful companies who still, you know, they do get it wrong on occasion. Um, and I, it's, it's always a good reminder to me, like everybody grows and everybody fails and everybody learns, right? Like, um, and I know that they have been very successful in a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. This just happens to be that one aspect where like, Hey, maybe it didn't work out so much. Um, so that's a good reminder. Yeah. uh, And it's just the, it's just the example that's pseudo public, right? Like, yeah, (laughs) there are plenty more that are probably more embarrassing that we'll never hear about. Oh, a ton. (laughs) <laughs> a ton for sure. Um, so yeah, so that was a good reminder and just interesting to think of like how other founders see their companies growing yeah. and that trajectory um, and how they adjust it. Well, we won't, we don't have to get, we don't have to dig into it too much, especially because we weren't part of that conversation with WeWork specifically, but you know, there's also this culture of things need to be huge to be worth it. Yeah. Know? And like there's, it's, you know, with, especially in VC and, you know, it's, I know that they're not in Silicon Valley, but Silicon Valley, all those things, it's like, we're going to take over the world and, you know, write me a huge We're the day. Uber of X, Yeah, right? exactly. Like, we're the next Uber of X. And it's hard to say um, if that's a great reference yet, by the way. Like for, oh, yeah, like yeah. TBD. Maybe it's going to be the lift. Yeah, who the knows? The next lift of X. Um, yeah, and, it's, and that is also like a really good point, um, really thinking through what success means. Um, and whether we'll ever feel successful, you know, like there are in some ways where I do feel successful, like, Hey, I've kept a company afloat for four years. Like we have a team of employees. That's already quite a small percentage of companies, uh, you know, across the U S but then what does it mean to be successful when we reach 20 million in revenue? Mm-hmm. Like if we sell for like a hundred million, um, is that success or when we get X number of clients? Um, and you know, I've started to think also a lot more about, um, like what's success to me, like what happens if I lose everything tomorrow, right? Like, what do I still have? What can I still do? Um, and so that's also like a really interesting aspect to think about, especially as a founder, because, um, if you have VC, I know that success is defined a little bit more by them, uh, by your investors. Um, 
but also like, you know, at some point you can't push anymore. So like, at what point do you say like, I'm successful um, and I'm going to keep pushing, but also like, what else can I do? And what are my, my other goals? So that's a lifelong journey. <laughs> yeah, that's what they tell me. Um, I'm convinced I can do it in less, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marav, this is, this has been really good. That's, that is the extent of my inquiry with questions. I really appreciate having you on the show and uh, getting to sort of learn a little bit more from your perspective uh, about the entrepreneurial experience. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's been a pleasure. And um, I think the last thing is, you know, where do people find you on the, on the interwebs? How do they follow along with your company? Are you pointing people in a certain direction? What's the best way to keep up? Yes. Um, <laughs> well, if you, I can give my bank account a uh, number if they just want to direct deposit totally, into totally. my account. And a social security you. number. Um, and social security, of course. Uh, so you can find us at datasociety.com. And we do have online courses that people can start for free to just learn a little bit more about data science and how to start programming on their own. Um, we do most of our business right now is in B2B. So we work with a lot of government agencies, um, defense contractors. If you're out there and you want your team to learn more about how to use data science, um, you can reach out to me at Marav, M-E-R-A-V, as in Victor, at datasociety.com, um, or you can fill out a form also on our site and we'll contact you. Um, if you want to follow me, I'm not very often on the Twitters, um, but I am at uh, Marav Yurov. I think that's my, my Twitter handle. And then um, I'm also on Instagram uh, at M Yurov. And also follow Data Society on Instagram um, because we are there. So you can find us there as well. Um, so follow us everywhere and email me if you have any questions. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Founder's Mind. Check back next week to learn all about Mandela Dixon and her company, Founder Gym, an online training center for underrepresented founders who want to build successful tech startups. In just 10 months, Founder Gym has had six cohorts with 170 founders from nine countries who have gone through the program and already raised over $20 million in capital. To make sure you don't miss any awesome wisdom from guests and stay up to date on the most recent episodes of the show, be sure to visit thefoundersmind.com. You can also follow along on social at The Founders Mind. Last but not least, thank you to Roy Matz for the music on this show and his dope editing skills that make The Founders Mind possible. Until next time, take care. In a world going through all of this insanity and try to bring new ideas, make them a reality. Illuminate in the thoughts, make it a priority to implement what you learn, what you get is what you be. In a world full of noise, hard to find that clarity to try to lead subtly, never full of vanity and try to change something small or try to change humanity. Power forward through the dark, founder's mind is what you see.